mentioned the boys' night we had. I think we have a picture. Is there a picture we can throw up there of boys' night? So that's... <laughs> that says it all right there. The angry faces, the shirtlessness, the weapons in the air. It was a gun show in more ways than one right there. So we had a good time. It was funny. After a couple of rounds of laser tag, you know, they're running around the church, lights are off. A couple of boys came and said, it's hot, can we take our shirts off? And I said, yes, let's go. But that room there is the room that the babies are in right now. That room there was kind of the holding after each round. If you, uh, if you were done, you went and, and waited in the nursery for the other kids to be done, and then we'd start a new round. That room had such a smell to it. And that's the baby nursery where the diapers go, and that room has never smelled so bad as that moment right there. That's maybe why the scowling faces are there. We had a good time at boys' night. Um, glad you're with us today. If you are new, I'd love to meet you after the service. We just encourage you to jump in. Come to lunch for new people next week. Um, find a way to connect with others in the church. We've got a great community of people here. We'd love to have you plug in and join us. All right, we are in part two of a series we started last week. We're going through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're calling this series, Who Is This? And really the, the main idea of the series is this. Through the Gospels, through the Gospel of Mark, you read it, there's several times when Jesus is talking to someone, ministering, doing a miracle, doing something that is on, and he is unlike anything anyone's seen before, and their response is, who is this? Who is this? This isn't like anything we've seen before. Last week we talked about this, that he had, remember we talked about the one word that Jesus had that they'd never experienced before? Authority, the authority of Jesus. He spoke as one. He taught as one with authority. He commanded evil spirits to come out, and they listened. He had authority over the evil spirits. He was in a storm in a boat, and he had authority over the wind and the waves. And every time, people would notice that, and they would say, Who's this? Or as the kids like to say these days, Who dis? Who dis? We've never seen anything like that before. So that was last week. This week, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. And here's the main idea of... What Jesus did that other people looked around and said, who is this? We've never seen that before. And it's this idea. Jesus was a bit of a rule breaker. He was a rule breaker. Some of the rule breakers said, amen. I am a rule breaker. Just by default, it's part of my heritage. It's just we curs grew up and we had, and thankfully, I'll say thankfully, Christy would not say thankfully. Thankfully, this trait has, is passing down to some of my kids, right? I think it's right down the middle. We have four kids, two of them, and you can do the math in your head who you think is who. Two of them would be rule breakers. Two of them would be rule followers. How many in the room are, let's say this, how many in the room are rule followers where you're going, yeah, no, I reject them. I rebuke that, Dennis. <laughs> Your family's the one laughing harder than anyone else. Um, you're a rule follower where if you're walking along and you see a sign or somebody gives a rule, you think, well, clearly somebody has thought this through. <laughs> they have everyone's best interest in mind. And we'd all be better if we just followed that rule there. A rule follower. How many rule followers do we have? All right. How many of you are like me where you see the rule, the sign, or whatever it is, and your first, first thought is, they don't mean me, <laughs> right? They, they, they're everybody else. Or they're like, I think, that's a dumb rule. That sign should not be there. It doesn't make any sense. We don't need to listen to that. 
anybody like that? All right, so we're kind of, I mean, kind of split. Maybe a few more rule followers and rule breakers. I realize it's not my best quality. There's times where my default is to say, that doesn't apply to us. There's times where my kids will hear it to my wife's chagrin and I'll say, yeah, that we're, we're probably okay to not do that. Um, so I'm a rule breaker, and I'm not saying I'm like Jesus in that way. I mean, Jesus was a rule breaker. It's not my best quality. There are times where my rule breakerness comes back to haunt me a little bit, but that's just how I am by default. Maybe you're like that. I love this part of Jesus' story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Jesus doesn't follow the rules, specifically the rules that the religious people had set up. He doesn't follow the rules of all the religious, the Pharisees, the, the, the high society religious types that think this is how good godly people behave. They have all the rules. Because here's what you need to know. Jesus was born into a Jewish family. Jesus was Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish home with its customs and rituals and sacrifices and all the rules. When we talk about that, that's the Old Testament. God gave the law and the prophets to the Jewish people in the Old Testament times. And that was the standard of their religion. The basis of their religion was to follow these rules, to follow these customs. That was in the Old Testament. But as generations pass over thousands of years between when God gave the law and when Jesus was growing up, is that the Jewish traditions and customs, the Old Testament law and the prophets had been read over and over and interpreted and added to so that now in Jesus' time, the, the, the religion that was the Old Testament is now just mired in rules and rules and rules. There was, you know, we think the Ten Commandments. There was like 600 commands in the Old Testament for this. And now the Pharisees and the religious people had added all sorts of other commands. It wasn't just honor the Sabbath. It was here's the things you can do and you're allowed to do. Here's how much spice you can measure out on the Sabbath and still be a rule follower. Okay? So it was mired in rules and rituals. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the ones who self-proclaimed in charge of the rules. And their faith was basically pointing out to everybody all the ways that they were not following the rules. You have to know this. This is what was going on. Also, you have to know this. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. Which means of all the people who should know the rules and follow the rules, it's a rabbi. That was his job, was to get disciples and to tell them and teach them all the Old Testament law and the prophets. So for someone like him, in this culture, for him to kind of break some of these rules was unheard of. That is why people were looking at him like, who is this? He calls himself a rabbi, and yet he's saying, eh, that rule doesn't really apply to me. I love that about him as a rule breaker. But this is why he was getting noticed. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 2 today. Mark chapter 2 and 3, there's several stories where Jesus is breaking the rules. He's healing people on the Sabbath day. And right away you can tell that the Pharisee's heart is not in the right place. Because they're mad that he's performing these miracles on the Sabbath day and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath day. Never mind the miracles that are taking place. The crippled people that are healed. All of these things, the, the man who got up and walked who had never walked a day in his life. The Pharisees see this situation and you can tell the state of their heart. Because their first thought is, oh, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath day, Jesus. That breaks one of the rules. This is where we pick up. There's stories of healing, stories of uh, miracles on the Sabbath. There's times where the, the Pharisees say, Jesus, you and your disciples aren't fasting like everyone else is fasting. Why aren't you doing that? All of these stories in the first uh, actually, chapter 2 and 3 of Mark, that Jesus is breaking the rules. So we're going to focus on a couple of them today. 
In Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verse 1 through 12. This is the first story where Jesus is kind of breaking the rules a bit. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12 says this, and the words will be up on the screen. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So remember last week we talked, because of what Jesus was doing, he was gathering a crowd. Everywhere he went, crowds gathered because he was performing miracles. And so there wasn't even room outside the door and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on down, lowered uh, the mat that the man was laying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does... Who dis? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. I love that moment. Can you imagine being there? There's this guy getting up with the mat that he's been sitting on his entire life. I'm like, I'm out. See you later, guys. Get up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We're going to stop there for a moment. First, that's a great story. That's great friends. Those four guys, that's great friends. We need people like that in our life. Like They're bringing their friend to Jesus because it's their faith that Jesus responds to. I love that. They're bringing their friend who's never walked a day in his life, and they're like, we're getting you to Jesus. And then they get to the home, and there's crowds of people they can't even get in. And these friends are like, we're getting you to Jesus. Digging through the roof lowering him down. We need people like that in our life, right? We need to be those friends for other people in the world around us. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'm getting you to Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I love that Jesus reads the minds of these Pharisees because the minds of the Pharisees, they're thinking, he can't do that. What, were, what was their opposition? Their opposition was, he can't forgive sins. He can't say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because their rules stated Sins were forgiven by animal sacrifices, and when you obeyed the rules, that's how you are righteous with God, and only God can forgive sins when you do all the things right. So it's not like the Pharisees were being super, you know, irrational. It's not like they were being super judgy. They were just going off of what they had been taught their whole lives. It would be like if somebody came in and said something that went against all the Christian ideas that we thought we had. We'd be like, um... I'm not sure that's right. This is what the Pharisees are doing. But also what the Pharisees are doing is overlooking the guy who was paralyzed and just walked on out of there. Yeah. That alone should be that be like, oh, okay, well, clearly we're okay with that. But they can't get past the rules. They're telling Jesus the only way sins are forgiven is by rules and sacrifices because that's what they've been taught. But here's one of the main things I want you to get today as we read why Jesus was a rule breaker because he doesn't see the rules. He sees people. Yeah. 
He sees people. He sees an individual. He sees an individual man because of the faith of his friends that deserve a miracle, and God gives him this miracle. Jesus performs this miracle. So that's the first story. The second one comes right after it in verse 14 of Mark 2. 14 through 17, it says this. This is after this. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is the second time, right after that, Jesus is breaking another rule. And the rule is this. Good religious people don't associate with sinners. This was a rule. In that culture, you everything about you was determined by who you hung out with, who you associated with. You were with people who were either on your level or who you were striving to be. These Pharisees would only associate with the high society Hoity-toity religious types. Hoity-toity is a Greek word meaning... No, it's not. So for Jesus to do this, that's breaking a rule. The Pharisees are looking and say, Jesus, you're a rabbi. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be eating with sinners and tax collectors. Who you shared a meal with was very important. It wasn't just getting something to eat. A meal was something like, these are my people. Who you shared a meal with declared, these are my people. So it's sinners and it's tax collectors and the religious people don't like it and, and Jesus is breaking another rule. So a little bit about Levi, he is Matthew. Levi became Matthew who wrote the gospel. Levi is a Hebrew name and so why it's known as Matthew is when it was translated to his Greek name as Matthew. So Levi is the Hebrew name, Matthew is the Greek name. Why is that important? Because if your Hebrew name was Levi, that means you were a Levite part of the Levite tribe in the Old Testament. The Levite tribe in the Old Testament were set apart from God to not take land around the promised land, but to be set apart for temple duties, to be temple worship leaders. They were the ones in charge of the temple, in charge of the presence of God. This was a unique high calling for the Levites. So here's Matthew. Now he's a tax collector. Why is that a big deal? Because in that day and age, the Roman Empire was occupying Judea. The Israelites were not free citizens. They were under Roman Empire rule. And how the empire would fund itself was collecting taxes. And so what they would need was local Jews to become tax collectors and take money from the other Jews to fund the Roman Empire. So you can imagine how well-liked a tax collector was. So not only Matthew has given up his priestly duty, temple worship, his Hebrew name, Levi, not only has he walked away from that, now he's turned his back on his fellow men, become a tax collector, a traitor. He would have been looked at like the worst of the worst. Like Levi, you were your family line is temple worship, you know, in charge of the temple high calling. Not only have you turned your back on that, but now you've sided with the evil Roman Empire and you're taking money from us to give to them. And tax collectors, because they had impunity, they had no fear of consequence. They could do whatever they wanted. They would collect way more than was necessary. The understanding was 
Collect this much for the Roman Empire, and however much else you want to extort from your fellow man. Do that, and you can keep it. This is why tax collectors were hated. So, this is why the religious Jews would look at Jesus talking to Matthew and be like, of course we know you can't do that. That's the worst of the sinners. He's a traitor and a sinner, and you should not be eating with him. Another point of the story is if there was anyone who would have felt like he had wandered away from God so far as to never be invited back, it would have been Matthew. And yet here's Jesus saying, come follow me. Come follow me. Let's go eat at your house. Let's go talk to all your friends and tax collector friends and sinner friends. This is a big moment. We can't overlook the, the kind of record needle scratch moment that this is. This is Jesus inviting to be one of his disciples, a tax collector, and now eating at his house with all the other sinners. I say all of this to reiterate this point. First and foremost, this is a great story of redemption. This is a great story of redemption. Jesus and Matthew. Anytime you read the Gospel of Matthew, you're like, this guy became a writer of one of the Gospels. This is a great story of redemption. But the Pharisees, of course, do not agree. And what did they say? What did they say in verse 16? It says, they saw this and they talked to his disciples. The Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice they weren't, you know, man enough to go to Jesus himself. There's, they're sowing dissent amongst his followers, right? Why is, your, why is your rabbi doing that? And Jesus responds, and I love how he responds. It's not the sick, or it's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. In other words, he's saying, this is why I'm here. What you're seeing right here, me breaking your rules, is why I'm here. So all the rule breakers said, amen. Right? This is why I'm here. This is a new thing. This is not for the religious insiders, Jesus is saying here, it's actually for those who are on the outside. It's actually for these people why I came. The people who don't know the rules. The people who are outside of your religion. This is why I am here. The sick are the ones who need a doctor, which makes sense to us. The lost are the ones who need a savior. Right? Amen? This is why Jesus came. So the rest of the morning, I want to talk about this. For us as Christ followers, this balance for us can be so difficult at times. Right? Because we want to follow Jesus. We want to become righteous and, and like we were singing today, give everything for him and the, the old ways of sin and patterns of our old self we want to get rid of and be set apart for God. But yet we're supposed to be involved in the world because we're here for the people who are lost. So how do we, this gets really itchy at times, right? This gets kind of, it gets tough at times. How do we find that balance? It's a struggle for us. Because we're sinners who are saved by grace. And we want to become more like Jesus. But we still want to be in the world to find more sinners and show them Jesus. There's a word sanctify or sanctification. And I'm going to get into that in just a minute. 1 Peter 1, 2 is a, is a verse that talks about this idea. 1 Peter 1, verse 2 says this. Talking about us who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? That word sanctifying is a churchy word. Sanctification. It means this idea that we, sanctification really needs to be set apart for Jesus. So our old selves, we set ourselves apart from our old sinful ways, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more like Christ. It's not an instantaneous thing. As we all know, the moment we say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a follower of you, we're not like, you know, halos and angels instantly, like, perfect. We got some work to do. Amen. Amen. 
Um, so that that sanctifying work is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, becoming or making us become more like Jesus, more and more being set apart from the ways of the world and be set apart for Christ. This is our goal. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, so let's put that. So sanctified to be set apart or separated from. Here's where the confusion comes in. Throw up that next slide. The word Pharisee means the separated one. Okay, so obviously there's some conflict. The word Pharisee actually means that. So these Pharisees would have taken that idea of sanctification and saying, we have to rid ourselves of the world and be set apart only for the things of God, which sounds a lot like sanctification, like we're supposed to do, but yet there's something they're missing. But you can see why there's a conflict there. We're supposed to be set apart, yet not too far apart so that we just ignore the world. We're supposed to be, we don't want anything to do with the world and sin, but yet we're supposed to be involved in the world to show the love of Jesus. How do we do this? And so often with good intention in our heart to be set apart, what happens is that we start out on the right path, but then we begin to view the world as bad and therefore must be avoided. I think that's the first step of the Pharisees. The world is bad and we must, be, and we must avoid it. Which still is like part of sanctification, right? We're supposed to rid ourselves of sin, but instead we look at the world or people in the world as bad and therefore must be avoided. And here's the big thing. We begin to view people of the world as hindrances to our righteousness. And so the people who are walking in sin, we look at them and say, we can't have anything to do with you. And not only that, you're hindering my righteousness, so you should stop doing that. Then we start being like the Pharisees, right? Looking at others, judging others, saying, your sin is hindering me and I can't have anything to do with you. And this is why we start existing in our Christianized bubbles and start seeing the world as the enemy. And we start seeing as the world to be avoided. We're looking at it through Pharisee eyes, not associating with anyone unrighteous because that's how we promote how separate and righteous we are. But yet we want to follow Jesus' example in all these things. He's a rule breaker. Amen. He was not worldly, but he was in the world. His involvement with people didn't erode his devotion. His involvement with the world didn't erode his faith. His involvement with the world impacted the world. Right? So that's the key difference. Is our involvement in the world, is it eroding our faith? Is it making us more like the world? And I hate saying the world because it sounds very churchy. We're the church and they're the world, but our involvement with our community, our involvement in the world, is it eroding our faith or is it impacting the world and showing them Jesus? Because that's why Jesus came, not to reach the righteous, but to find those who are lost and to invite them to follow him. So I want to point out a couple of things. Because it's easy to say, so let's be like Jesus. Amen. Let's go on our way and take a nap because we're tired because we woke up an hour earlier today. But here's what I wanted to do today. How is Jesus able to do this? Because we all are going to struggle with this. How to get involved with people who don't know Jesus. Co-workers. How to go have fun with friends who we know that are not saved. And we're like, can I be here? Is this, my, is this against the rules? And you want to text me and be like, Pastor Jeff, and... See, if it, can I be here? Is this okay? And I don't want that to happen by any means, okay? Text Pastor Christy for those questions. She's a rule follower. She'll, let you, she'll set you straight. How is Jesus able to do this so effectively? So I have four things that stood out to me as I was reading this week. And the first one we already talked about. The first, first one is this. His faith was firmly established. 
There was no fear of Jesus, um, you know, areas of complacency coming into Jesus. He had his hope set on God, his eyes set on the kingdom, his mission. We weren't worried about Jesus being like, oh, if he's hanging out with sinners, he might become a tax collector himself and start mistreating people. This party at Matthew's house was not going to cause him to stumble yeah. in his faith. So for you, first and foremost, obviously your faith comes first. Like, we want you to stay strong in your faith. So if there's an environment that you're like, well, I'm supposed to be involved in the world, but that environment is going to cause your faith to stumble, that's a good indication that you should maybe rethink that, okay? Yeah. An alcoholic, we're never going to say, go to the bars and hang out with people and get them saved. That might not be the best environment for you, okay? It's fairly common sense, okay? So, but for Jesus, we recognize his Involvement in the meal with the sinners and tax collectors was impacting them. They weren't eroding his faith. So first and foremost, we've got to make sure our faith is strong. If you can't wander out into the world and be around non-Christians without stumbling, the goal is not to be like, I can never talk to you again. The goal is to get strong in your faith so that you can go into the world and impact the world. This is what Jesus was doing. So that's, that's why we keep saying grow in your faith because we've got work to do. We have a dark world that needs us to go in. Second one was this. First, his faith was firmly established. Second one, he was not insecure. I imagine that comes with being the son of God. Probably a little bit of confidence there. Um, but he wasn't insecure in his faith. And I think a lot of what the Pharisees were doing just stemmed from insecurity. I think our judgment of the world... Um, comes from insecurity where we feel insecure in our faith. So the only way to feel better is to point out people that we can look down on and say, well, you're worse than me. Then we feel better. That's out of insecurity. Or we like to just follow the rules and be, you know, the appropriate Christians because we fear the voice of the Pharisee saying, you shouldn't be doing that. We fear any moment that, that Christians look at us and be like, are you sure you should be doing that? If there's an insecurity there, we're like, oh, okay, religious people, okay, we won't do that. We don't. Any sort of insecurity is going to lead you to, to shy away from really being involved in the world and making an impact for Jesus Christ. So we've got to just make sure our faith is established. We can't have that insecurity in us. If somebody comes to us and says, and this is where Christy and I differ, if somebody comes to us with something that we do as a church and says, well, that's not really Christian, or you're breaking the Christian rules, she, she takes that to heart of a little bit of just like, oh, no, I think they think that we're doing something wrong. I see that as like, yeah, I wanna, that's like a badge I want to put on my, on my Boy Scout sash, right? Like, I broke the rules. I broke the Christian. I got the rule breaker badge. His faith was firmly established. He was not insecure. And the third one, this is a big one, is he was on mission. All the Pharisees looking at him saying, you shouldn't be doing that. He's like, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Of course I'm going to be doing that. That's why I'm here. Me not dining with these people is going to be me not doing what I'm supposed to do. It's the sick who need a doctor. I mean, think of an actual doctor going into a place where there needed to be a doctor and only hanging around the healthy people. We would say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. The people who need you, need you to be a doctor. This is Jesus. Our mission is to go into the world and light the dark, to let our light shine. You can't avoid the dark. You can't avoid the dark, but you also have to shine. So that's the balance there. We can't avoid the dark and say, well, we're going to avoid any, any sort of sinful people. 
But when we're around them, we got to let our light shine. It does no good if our faith does not stand out in the midst of those moments. We have to light the dark. And the fourth one is this. He had a genuine love for people. I don't imagine Jesus in that moment at Matthew's house. I imagine that being a bit of a party, and I love it. I don't imagine him being the begrudging, like, I guess I'm supposed to act like I care about these people, and oh, I wish I could get out of here quick, and you know, and I'll do it for you, God the Father, but these people are driving me crazy, the way they talk, and all this stuff. I like to imagine Jesus at Matthew's house. This is a party. Not, I imagine him being the life of the party, right? I imagine that. He was not a joyless Christian begrudgingly participating in the world like, oh, for the sake of the call, I'm going to do it. Be around these people I can't stand. There's a lot of times in the Christian faith where we think we need to act like we care about people. And a better solution than that is to actually care about people and get to know them, right? Jesus was not... You know, thinking, I wish I was somewhere else, but I got to do this because it's part of my mission. I wish I was at home with all my Christian friends or watching Christian movies with my Pure Flix subscription. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? It should be a thing. It's probably a thing. If you're a subscriber, that's fine. That's good. You know, he wasn't. Jesus wasn't wearing a wire spying on the world that people like, can you believe they're saying this? Or he didn't have like the Christian panic button. Like if stuff got really worldly, he hits the medic alert thing and the disciples run in and put a blanket over him and carry him out. Like, we'll take you to safety, Jesus. Too much world for you. He genuinely enjoyed the company of people. Their food and their wine, he was the life of the party. That's what I imagine. That's what I imagine. I love that. I love that. And I love the religious people who were looking at him like, he shouldn't be doing that. But Jesus is like, this is why I'm here. And he, he seems to enjoy the company of all the people. It's actually the religious people are the ones that he seems to not enjoy their company the most. Amen. <laughs> we have, um, this is a hard thing for us. And I think because we've created this narrative in the Christian faith which says this. And I hear this a lot from people, not in this church. I think, actually, I think Homestead has done a really good job at creating a culture of, you're welcome here, yeah. right? And this is, why, this is why we want to do this. I think there's a narrative in our broad Christian culture that says this, well, I can't associate with them because that would be condoning their sin. Um, like our very presence in somebody's life automatically condones every part of their lifestyle. And I don't understand that. I don't know where we got that because it's really flawed, when you think about it. Like there's, it's really flawed and destructive when you really think about it. And it's certainly not what Jesus did. He loved people. He by no means, by saying, I'm going to eat with the sinners and the tax collectors, I don't think anybody in the room other than the Pharisees thought, well, Jesus is here, therefore our lifestyle must be perfect. No, they were just glad Jesus was there. Right? That, that narrative that we have, that we can't associate with them because it's condoning their sin, is flawed. And do we have that narrative? I think a sign that we would have that kind of false narrative in our life is when we start making the Christian disclaimers for people. Like, well, they're my friend, but, you know, I know that there's some things going on in their life. Or, you know, I know they're not perfect, but I still want to hang out with them. And, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. That's a very Christian phrase. All of these things where we feel like we can't, we have to make a disclaimer before we can just go and enjoy the company of other people. Right? I don't see Jesus making disclaimers here. I see him enjoying the company of others without any 
that Greek word hoity-toityness, without any of the hoity-toityness. Uh, one of the commentators I was, the Bible commentaries I was reading, the man named William MacDonald wrote this, and there's a quote that I want to put up on the screen, and I'm going to read it for you. There is a lesson in this for us. We should not shut ourselves up in Christianized communities. Rather, we should seek to befriend the ungodly in order to introduce them to our Lord and Savior. In befriending sinners, we should not do anything that would compromise our testimony or allow the unsaved to drag us down to their level. We should take the initiative in guiding the friendship into positive channels, which that could take some time. It doesn't have to happen right away. Positive channels of spiritual helpfulness. It would be easier to isolate oneself from the wicked world, but Jesus didn't do it, and neither should his followers. These stories in Mark chapter 2 and 3, these are all good stories. I mentioned this before. Mark chapter 2 and 3, it's, it's two miracles of people who were crippled, paralyzed. It is a story of redemption of Matthew being called to follow Jesus. Um, there's stories of a man with leprosy. There's story, all these things, um, miracles on the Sabbath. And they're all wonderful stories. And yet the Pharisees have a problem with each of them. Their religious rules made it so that all of these great things they looked at and said, well, that shouldn't happen. Like they would rather the guy not be healed, right? Because, because then a rule wouldn't have been broken. So our motivation should always be people. Our motivation should be to tell people not how wrong they are. Our motivation should be to love people, get to know them, not to like water down our faith, but to point them towards Jesus. And even if it takes a long time, that's fine. But we're in the world to point people to Jesus. Say, I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to introduce you to the King of Kings and the Savior of your soul. And Jesus does an amazing work. He's going to be way better at it than we are. The Holy Spirit, that work of sanctification, that works in other people. That's the Holy Spirit drawing them to Christ's likeness. This is why we are here. So rather than seeing rules, I want us to see people. Your co-workers are not obstacles to your faith. They are people. Get to know them. Get to know their story. Care about them. Point them towards Jesus. Um, I was reading this, and one commentary said this, that the Pharisees, what they were doing to Jesus was calling him something that they meant to be derogatory. They were calling him the friend of sinners, like a derogatory thing. Like, oh, that's Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. It's kind of like that's... That's Jesus, he's a fan of the Packers. Kind of one of those things. Like it's supposed to be supposed to be a negative thing. Like they're looking at it, can you believe that friend of sinners? Like, ha ha ha. And yet, we it was in one of the songs we sang this morning. Friend of sinners is an ob, is a reason why we worship him today. That I love that, that term that they put on him to say, like, this is a derogatory thing, why should we shouldn't listen to Jesus? Friend of sinners. Is why we as sinners Love Jesus. Friend of sinners became an endearing compliment, an ob a reason for us to worship him. Lyrics to our songs that we sang today, he is a friend of sinners. I love that. So we need to be willing to break a few rules. Amen. <laughs> there's, a, there's a season at this church that's coming where I, we've seen a lot of new people join us. We've seen a lot of people start bringing their kids to youth group on Sunday nights. We, the reason we have boys night with stinky boys running around the church with no shirt on is, you know, we didn't present the gospel at the end of the evening. It is to have an environment where people who would otherwise not step foot in a church, they're going to come in and be like, well, that seems fun. 
right? That could be a very spiritual thing. That seems fun. And then it goes from there. And that is the first step in making that connection. We are going to be a church that wants to have fun. And we may be a church that some other people might look at and say, well, that's against the rules. I, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Imagine you're walking down a street one night and you go by like a, a, a public swimming pool and it's fenced off and on the fence it says no swimming after dark and no trespassing. But inside you can hear someone drowning. At no point are you going to say, well, I'd love to help you, dude, but the sign says no swimming after dark. So as much as I would love to help you, here I am because I don't want to break the rules. Somebody clearly thought this out and thought this was a good rule. And so maybe in the morning we'll come in and hang on. And you shouldn't be in there anyways. It's your own fault for drowning, right? Of course we wouldn't do that. Uh, a friend of mine pastors a church in Austin, Minnesota, just a couple hours south of here. And he always says this. Their mission is to reach one more. And he says, we'll do anything short of sin to reach one more. We'll do anything. We'll break a few rules. Anything short of sinning. To reach one more. That's who I want us to be. I want us to be like the four friends who didn't let anything stop them from bringing their paralyzed friend to be with Jesus. They didn't get deterred. I'm sure cutting a hole in the roof probably broke a few rules, right? I'm sure the homeowner there was just like, really? Like, I'd have found you a back door if you wanted. Gosh. They're like, we're not letting anything stop us from bringing our friend to Jesus. We're not letting anything stop us. This is who we are going to be as a church. This is what's going to be marking the next season of ministry at Homestead. Amen? So let's do it. I mean, this is going to be, your involvement is get to know people. Get to know people in your world. Build a relationship. And not with a gospel track in your back pocket, like ready to pounce at the first time. But just get to know them, build a relationship with them, and you're going to see God do amazing things through them they're going to be more receptive to a hard conversation about faith. Or they're going to be more respect, uh, re receptive of an invitation to go to church. So this is our goal. We are here for this reason, to go into the dark, to introduce people to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us do that. Help us to keep our eyes on the focus of why we are here. We are a part of your kingdom. And that's why we're here, to find the lost and to bring them to you. This is the mission you gave us to go into all the world and make disciples. So Lord, help us to find that balance of how to do this as people that are set apart for you, but are in the world shining your light. We get this wrong at times, and that's okay. There's grace and mercy for that, but we want to over and over again follow you in this, follow your example to love those in the world to shine your light in the darkness. So speak to us individually how we can do that better. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. If you would like prayer, we have some prayer teams that will be up at the front. And uh, don't forget lunch for new people and all the other good stuff coming up in the next couple weeks. God bless.